Boom. Hello and welcome to the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast Season 5. Never forget that to the best of us, protection's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. Enjoy. Byron, so yours. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming. It's an honor. Such an honor. Thank you so much for having me, Pablo. Um, thank you. When I, well, first and foremost, I've got to say that this event has been amazing. The amount of value, the subjects that have been covered here uh, in the last almost 48 hours have been tremendous. We've got things from the hard skills, the soft skills side. If you guys are really paying attention and taking these things back to your team, the value you've gotten in these last few days have been absolutely impressive. I've gone to a lot of different events around the world and I'm just blown away because this is a top of the line event. Uh, So I'm honored to be here with all of you. Now, when Pablo gave me the opportunity to present uh, at this conference, I was honored. And, you know, me being me, I went through uh, some changes of just like, let's do something cool, let's do something high speed, let's do something hardcore, let's blow their socks off or something like that, Uh, maybe attack on principle. But as I really dug into it, I had to be as real as possible with the one thing that I must make sure that my teams understand. The one thing that I get feedback constantly uh, about how it's helped agents in the field, the one thing um, that has really been the way that I've been able to contribute to our space and that has made the biggest difference in my own career as well, and that undoubtedly is social dynamics of executive protection. This is the hidden art of success in the executive protection industry. So here's our roadmap. Ladies and gentlemen, I look at time as God's currency, right? So we will spend this next hour together. We will die together. We won't get these minutes back. I'm going to jam this next 45 minutes with as much value as possible and try to make it worth it. So our trajectory is simple. We're going to define SDEP. We're going to talk about how to create winning teams. We're going to hit some principles. We're going to hit some tactics for when you're in close. Uh, We're going to talk about spheres of influence. These are the different realms of relationships that we must effectively navigate while we're in the game out there in the field. We've got one learning objective, and that is simply to equip executive protection professionals with tools to create winning cultures and teams. Boom. So for me, it all started when I was 21, and I got pulled into my first executive protection detail. Some say they didn't choose the game, but the game chose them. By the grace of God, that was the case for me. I found myself on the most traveled uh, executive protection detail in Southern California. We hit over 60 different countries in that first year. It was like learning to drink out of a fire hose, right? I did that with them on repeat for seven years. Within the first three years, our team of 13 guys got cut down to two agents, myself and someone who turned out to be one of my best friends in the world, The main thing is that that first six months, I saw so much turnover. I saw guys auditioning. I guess I saw we we went through probably about 30 different agents just trying to find the right fit for our client. And during that time, every single time a new agent would show up, I mean, for me, it was like pucker factor. Here I am, just an infantry marine, 
And I'm looking at, we're picking up new guys in their secret service, their Navy SEALs, their retired law enforcement, their SWAT guys, way better pedigree, guys that I wanted to be when I grew up, basically, right? Guys that have such a higher pedigree than me. So I was always like, this guy is going to take my job. Bigger than me, faster than me, stronger than me, sexier than me, balder, blacker, whiter, whatever, cooler than me, you know? So I always was like, how am I going to make it? But I was forced, after a while, to really start to pay attention to the reality that I was still there. I was still on the detail. And at that point, I started to be like, wow, well, there is an ology here. There's a study of here. There's some information here that if I can distill it, maybe I can have something that I can really, really build a solid career with. I stayed with that client for seven years. I started to pay attention to it then. I went down to Florida and I rebuilt my books again. I started as a bouncer, and I started from the bottom, and I got up into very high levels of executive protection, working for a lot of big companies down there. And I did the same thing. I moved right back up to California and did it all over again, utilizing these same principles, utilizing that experience, and really canonizing and crystallizing these social dynamics, and that culminated into me having my own executive protection company out there. So, for those of you who haven't ran into any of my brands, I've been busy, right? I've got the most listened to executive protection podcast in the space, uh, probably, possibly one of the largest bodies of free information in the executive protection industry. Some of the podcast episodes are uh, utilized as college credits in some universities in the United States. Um, called the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast. I've got my own executive protection school. I've got uh, another brand where I teach perfect protectors of all backgrounds, the art of protection. But I say all that to say what has me in integrity up here with you guys so I can look myself in the mirror after just maybe 13 years in the space. I know many of you have more than that. I'm only 35, but I'm getting feedback on an almost weekly basis from professionals who are building their companies, from professionals who are out there in the field, and they're saying, hey, your social dynamics, the stuff you're teaching, has changed my career, has given me the promotion I want, has helped me get the job that I've been looking for. The social dynamic stuff is really what has changed the game for me. And so that is why I talk about these things whenever I do these talks, and I know I'm making valuable contributions to our space. Boom. My mission here today is the exact same as it's always been, to restore honor back to our honorable service. What it is we do, no greater love than this and a man would lay down his life for another. We are protectors, right? Boom. If you've been enjoying the podcast, I want to encourage you to come and train with me. Train with us, the League of Executive Protection Specialists. We offer online courses so you can train and learn how to take your executive protection career to the next level from the comfort of your own home. Uh, we offer on-ground training on everything from the hard skills of driving, shooting, medical, um, and into the soft skills through the executive protection immersion course, which is one of the most experiential, learning-centric courses in the executive protection industry. Either way, I want you to become part of the golden standard in the private security industry and join the brotherhood, the League of Executive Protection Specialists. Go to epspecialist.com and let's do our careers together. I'll see you there. Out. Uh, in every warrior culture since the beginning of time, there has been 
a specific sect, a specific set-apart group of fighters that is more highly trained, that is charged with protecting the nobility, the VIPs, princes, kings of the time. That's what we do. It's honorable. Yet, executive protection remains to be one of the only industries I'm aware of where your principals and clients will tell you how to do your job. They'll have you mow the lawn, they'll have you, uh, if you let them, they'll have you wash the car, wash the boat, walk the dogs. You know, they'll tell you how to do your job, right? But they don't tell their, 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 their lawyers how to do their jobs, their doctors how to do their jobs. Um, they don't do those things to even, you know, their mechanic. So what my mission has always been since the beginning, when I started making information, educational products for us, is to restore that honor back to this honorable service. So that the guy on the ground, a larger volume of the guys on the ground, act like the professionals that we are charged to be and who we really truly need to be in this space. So let's dig into it, SD and EP. The root word, social dynamics, got a quick definition here for you, a branch of social science that deals with the laws, forces, and phenomenon of change in society, right? Said differently, this is the way that groups act on an individual, the way that groups interact with each other, and essentially the way that individuals act on groups, right? Social dynamics. Social dynamics in, in executive protection, the definition is even more simple. A code of conduct aimed at influence in executive protection. Especially in the private industry, we must learn how to leverage relationships. We don't have badges. We don't have those other tools to get people to do what we, what we want. And so this art is really something I think a lot of professionals don't focus on enough. They think it's about the hard skills. They think it's about the tactics. They think it's about the gear. When really what I've found is it's about relationships. It's really about your ability to leverage relationships. Now, bad social dynamics has a number of symptoms that you find on details, right? These are environments where the people aren't bad, but they're using what we call in psychology maladaptive tools. Tools that have been negatively adapted to their environment. They're just simply looking out for their best interests and just simply trying to survive. They're just simply trying to gain enough power uh, in order to not lose their jobs generally. But what that gives way to is a realm, an environment of competition over cooperation very often. We've all gone to work on a detail where <laughs> the team has like a civil war going on inside of it. You got this alpha doesn't want to work with this guy. He doesn't trust this guy. That guy shot him in the, in the back on the last detail. Um, you know, this guy's always trying to outdo everyone. He's like the man. He's trying to be the, the best guy on the team. You've got uh, battles going on with the house staff, right? Like we don't like the nannies because they don't give us information to the last minute. We got beef with the drivers, the PAs. We're always in battles with the, with the private personal assistants. There's all these different little wars going on inside the detail. And everyone's really just vying for power and trying to maintain their position and protect their position. These people aren't bad, but they're not using the right tools and they're not paying attention to higher principles that will help stabilize these environments. Environments where competition is valued over cooperation are environments of high attrition. So you've, and I know we've all had these problem details and 
what we're going to talk about next is how we can look to eradicate that, right? So we're going to take a quick video. It's about a one minute, 30 second video. And we're going to look at an area of study called game theory. Game theory, many of you are familiar with it. It's kind of like a realm of psychology that's all about why people do what they do and getting them to show the kind of the organic drivers behind human behavior, right? Now, the, the specific part of game theory we're going to look at is the prisoner's dilemma. And the prisoner's dilemma is going to show you even further how people organically, just simply looking out for their best interests, can do things that are counterproductive for the good of the team. So cue the next video. And while you watch Hi, this, this think about Let's what happens on the details. prisoner's dilemma. You and your partner in crime have been apprehended by the police. The officer explains they don't have much evidence, and if you both hold out, then you will each serve one year in jail. The officer wants you both to confess, in which case you'll serve two years in jail each. He also explains that if only one of you confesses, that person goes free, and the other will serve four years in jail as a penalty for holding out. He separates you and your partner, and you think about it. If you could trust your partner and you both held out, then you'd only serve one year in jail. However, if your partner confesses and you don't, then you will serve four years as a penalty for holding out. That doesn't sound very good, so you think about it logically. If your partner confesses, then you'll serve four years in jail for holding out, but only two years for confessing. On the other hand, if your partner holds out as well, then you'll serve one year in jail for holding out, and you'll go free if you confess. Clearly confessing is less jail time for you no matter what your partner does. Your partner goes through a similar calculus and realizes confessing is better for him no matter what you do. So in the end, you both confess to the crime and serve two years in jail. And that's the strange part, because if you had both held out, you would have only served one year in jail each. The prisoner's dilemma is a conflict between doing what's best for yourself as an individual and considering the group and what might be best for the group. Boom. So that was just a quick kind of illustration, and I hope you liked my cartoons. Um, of really what happens organically on these details. You get on in, in a new environment, you don't know who's who, um, and people are starting to just kind of do what's best in, in their own best interest. Obviously, my presentation is not about deceiving your clients and being bad guys and lying and things like this, but we find ourselves in a number of different very awkward social situations as all of these different tectonic plates are moving all around us with different levels of relationships that we're dealing with in our environment. The beauty of executive protection is that we get to benefit from a principle that I like to call the infinite prisoner's dilemma, which means we get multiple iterations of these interactions with our principals and with our clients and with the house staff and the different relationships with our team. So we can, if we can get everyone on the same sheet of music, start to construct a game plan, a way of increasing the survivability of everyone on the team, a way of dealing with high stress situations so we can link shields and we can present a unified front first inside of our team 
And then with all of the different auxiliary team members, I like to call them, but all the different vendors that are also in the space with us. This gives way to good social dynamics. This gives way to environments where everyone lives and dies as a team. Not one person is singled out, right? Darwin talks about a few different principles. Survival of the fittest being the one that we're most well acquainted with. But another principle he talks about, maybe a little bit more, which is lesser known, is survival of the pack, elimination of the weakest. So if you go and you watch the Discovery Channel tonight, what you're gonna see is, you're gonna see a pack of wild animals, one little gazelle that for some reason gets separated. And when that one little gazelle gets separated, that's the one, that's the weak link, that's the one that gets eliminated. With good SD, we create an environment where we're all sharing in the wins and loses. It makes it so that we can all survive longer. This is how we create winning teams. This is how we increase cohesion within our teams. This is how we create environments of cooperation over competition. And when we have that, we have a culture and a team of winning. It's difficult because the first thing you have to do is prove that protecting yourself is not actually how you win. You know, something we learned very deeply in the Marine Corps. But the underpinning, the foundation for all of this is relationship equity. Trust, relationship equity, your ability to count on each other. Business is the commerce of relationships. This is the art of manufacturing, procuring, maintaining high quality relationships, not just inside your team, with everyone around you. If you, if you just go to work when you get back from this trip with this in mind, you will begin to organically change the game. Undoubtedly, you already have tools to do this that you know of in your own life. But if this is the way you go back to work, you have that person who's oppositional at work, but now you're like, hey, if I can win this person over, I can create an ally, I can create asset, I can gain more relationship equity in my environment, and I can further continue stabilizing myself and my teams here in this environment. It changes that opposition. And this is how we really become sticky in this game. So let's take a quick look at uh, different spheres of relationships uh, in this game. These are the different realms of relationships that we need to navigate efficiently and effectively ourselves and our teams, right? Client, principal, what's the difference? In this discipline, your client is the individual paying the bills. The principal is your actual protectee, the individual that you're physically protecting. The royal court, this is the entourage. This is, these are the relationships that have been in your principal's life since they were a kid. They were here before you came. They'll be here after you leave, right? Uh, the CEO of your security company may be you. Uh, the security detail leader, your team leader, the house staff and vendors. Now, if I went and asked any of your agents who the most important person, the most powerful person or relationship on that list is, they're probably gonna tell me the principal. I'm willing to bet, right? Um, and that's completely understandable. But in this discipline of SDEP, the way we look at it is every single one of them is a life or death relationship. Principal, client, client walks inside the house, I just got done driving, him, her, maybe I said something they didn't like, maybe I didn't say something and they didn't like that, maybe I made a wrong turn, we're all gonna make mistakes, your guys and girls out there are gonna make mistakes. They walk into the kitchen, the PA is sitting there and what are they gonna say? Hey, Jessica, what do you think about Byron? There's a magic moment. Jessica's got a choice. You guys remember the Romans. Jessica's gonna sit there and she's gonna be like, mm, 
I think Byron's a jerk and he thinks he's the best security guy in the world. He wears too much jewelry. Boom, dagger, Byron's bleeding out now, right? And I don't even know it. Or they're gonna be like, hey, you know what? I think, I think Byron's the right guy. I think he made a mistake. But I think as he grows into the position, you're gonna see that he's, he's actually a pretty good dude. He's a pretty good guy. I think you should hold on to him. Boom, life. I live longer and we're in the right position. Everything depends on this. I've seen so many good guys that I would go to war with shoulder to shoulder with right now that I could trust to run through a house with, I could trust to do anything I need to do physically with that don't value this. Everything depends on our ability to gain high quality relationships and move different place, pieces around on the board. We're not better than any other functioning team. When I get nannies, house staff, new cooks, drivers, whoever it is that comes onto the detail, I pull them aside. I say, hey, man, you've probably been in the industry for a long time. You've probably been around the block. I'm sure you've had problems with, secu with security, but here, the way we run it is simple. I've got your back. You've got my back. The bottom line is we are on the same team to make sure our principal has the best experience they can have. They stay safe, happy, and productive. You play your position, I play my position. I will try to get you information to make you win. I'll cover you, I'll protect you, and I hope that you feel comfortable enough to do the same. I start the whole relationship off that way. No insecurities, no worrying about power struggles. I instantly disarm them and welcome them to the team. Boom, we're gonna take a quick pivot into myths. These are things that your teams very quite possibly think will bring them power, but are actually pitfalls. Hard skills, <laughs> I love this picture. Um, your ability to catch a butcher knife in your mouth and mount a counterattack counter might get you hired, I don't know. You, maybe you get hired because you're a Navy SEAL, maybe you get hired because you were Secret Service SWAT, maybe you get guys, cool guys can get on the team for that. New guys in the game generally can have a tendency to wanna focus way too hard on their hard skills. When I get new guys, I tell them right, straight out the bat, we have a league, we have a saying in the league, my school, listen, hard skills may save lives and you need to be as advertised. Hard skills may save lives, but is, your soft skills will keep you in this game and get you paid. So master your soft skills, right? Boom. Too close with the principal. This picture makes me awkward. <laughs> it is definitely awkward. Being too close with the principal is very seductive. It's natural for us to want to be close and favored by powerful people. So in this industry, you get new guys all the time that, like Christian said yesterday, they think they're going to change everything. They think they're going to be best friends with the principal or the client. I always brief my new guys and let them know, hey, listen, our clients, our principals, the demographics we serve, these people get tired of Lamborghinis, okay? Pay attention. You might be the flavor of the month, but remember, you need to respect the professionalism of the relationship first. You never want to be seen as a bodyguard. The closer you get to being a friend before the appropriate time, the farther you get from being looked at and being able to influence as a professional. There is a place you can arrive after like five, six, seven years where you're like the furniture. You're like the son to the principal and client, and then you are like family. But trying to rush that relationship is a mistake I see a lot of new professionals and guys on teams make as they enter this industry. The tough guy. 
God bless the tough guy. I like to think I'm a pretty tough guy. I try to be a tough guy, you know. Um, but this game, right, requires new things. Quick story, my very first executive protection detail, very smart principal, brings me in uh, to do a dueling interview against another gentleman. Uh, he invites us and our wives out to dinner together. So we're going out with him. He's interviewing us. He's watching how we move. He's watching how we deal with the environment. He's watching to see if we represent his brand well, right? We're sitting there. It comes time for salad. Uh, I'm doing everything I can perfect. I'm treating it like a detail, paying attention to the room, working the silverware from the outside in. Uh, he looks at me. He offers me some salad. I say, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. He puts it on my plate. I'm thinking this is a pretty cool guy. He's like serving me salad. He's my, my principal. Uh, he offers the other gentleman some salad. The other gentleman who actually looked kind of like this guy says, I don't eat rabbit food in a deep southern draw. It was at this moment I realized that I was probably going to win this dueling interview. In an age where being politically correct is very important. In an age where we must sell security in action, in appearance, in deed, everything is recorded, right? In an age when our principals and our clients must trust our discretion as we navigate the world, make decisions on their behalf, interact with the public on their behalf, the tough guy is dead. Now you must keep a velvet glove over your iron fist. Outshining. Undoubtedly, you'll have guys on your team that are hard chargers. They want to run out in front. They want to change the world. They want to prove to everyone on the detail they're the biggest, baddest, smartest. Um, they want to prove to the principals and the clients that they're the smartest guys, right? This is counterproductive. It is dangerous because it is actually self-serving. Generally, they'll present it as if they just want to be their best and other guys can't keep up, but they're seeking glory for themselves. It adds to the attrition of the pack. The other people on the team will detect it, and they will be insecure because this person's constantly trying to outdo them. They will generally begin orienting their guns in, and there will be little social infighting will begin. Character assassination will begin. This is going to lower the integrity of your team. You never want your team to become a headache to a principal. The principal might like it, might dig it, but uh, these principals and clients we deal with have people trying to gain their affections all day, every day, 24 hours a day. More than likely, they'll see him as a brown noser and might push them away. All bad. When I see a guy who's a stallion who wants to run out there, I'm kind of like, cool, dude, awesome. Since you're so awesome, show me your leadership skills, your ability. Tell me, what are the benefits of what it is you're trying to do? If it's sound, I say, awesome. Take what it is you want to do. Take it back to the team. Influence the team to elevate the bar in the field. Show them the benefits of it. Show me your leadership skills. And everyone, let's elevate the bar at the same time, in the same place. Let's present a unified front to our principles and improve the quality of our work product together. Boom, we're going to pivot again, get into some principles, right? <laughs> Never lie to anyone you're not going to kill. I love this slide. Now, of course, you're thinking, Byron, you know, I don't lie. I mean, lying's bad. I've been told not to lie since the beginning um, of my existence. But in this game, if you play this game for any, you know, you guys have all dealt with it. Your people in the field are going to deal with it, right? 
Our principals think that we're their personal MacGyvers. You know, we got to know everything. You got to have all the answers. You got to be the man, right? Uh, especially for newer agents, it's very tempting when you're, you've been in that country for four days, you've done an advance, and you're in the car with your principal driving from the FBO to the hotel or the venue, and you're doing what, I'm calling, what I call playing Final Jeopardy, right? So your principal's asking you every question they can come up with, right, about the environment. And they hit you with one that you just didn't see coming. It's very seductive. I tell my guys, hey, part of being a specialist is knowing exactly what you know, knowing it well. And also knowing what you do not know, but knowing how to find those answers. The correct answer when you're asked one of those questions is, sir or ma'am, I do not know at this time. I will get that, that answer and I will get right back to you. They will trust the integrity of your word and you will last longer in this game. If there's one slide I'd say is very important to pay attention to, it's probably this one. As we aim to influence, right, so that we can do our job more effectively, making sure others are seen and heard turns out to be one of the most powerful things we can do, right? People don't remember what it is you say as much as they remember how you make them feel. This is like, this is like dynamite. This is like magic right here. Especially in a time when honor and respect and really caring for anyone is becoming more and more rare. This is a tool you can utilize no matter who it is you're interacting with, house staff, nannies, principal, client, other team members. If you aim, if you want to influence, first make sure they are heard, they are seen, they feel understood, you cannot fake this, you must be genuinely interested in what they're saying, and then they will experience a bit of a cathartic release, a therapeutic release, they'll feel honored, and that is when the window opens for you to begin to influence and get any work done that you need to get done. Do no harm. Out in the field, we're all dealing with it probably as I speak, and you will deal with it. People that just, they just suck. They just aren't good to work with. Uh, they may aim in on you because you make them insecure. They might think that you're going to take uh, power from them. They may, you may, they may think that... Um, for whatever reason, they don't like you or they don't like your guys. I tell guys, look, if it's not your job to eliminate them, okay, do no harm. A person's character is the algorithm by which they make decisions. Eventually, with sufficient time and distance, everyone knows how to do this, everyone does it, everyone's good at it. Everyone will see that algorithm. Everyone will see that pattern. They will be seen for who they are and the garbage always inevitably takes itself out. When that happens, you wanna make sure your dagger's clean. You wanna make sure you haven't done anything uh, underhanded or surreptitious to try to eliminate that person because then your integrity will be negatively impacted. Boom. Leadership. Who's the leader? Who's the follower? Obviously, there's a structure. However, the way I run this is that they are one in the same. I create teams full of leaders, but leadership is following. As a detail leader, as a manager, as a boss, I write SOPs, standard operational procedures, policies, all those things. I move guys around in the field. I, I, I get things done. We move bodies. That's how we lead our guys from the front. Conversely, but even simultaneously, is that not also how we serve our teams with good leadership, right? As I look at the guy who's right now in the hallway 
Halls and walls, he's standing there paying attention. He's serving the team from the bottom. He's doing the, the, the thing of less honor that no one wants to do. That's his service. At the same time, yo, I need him to push me information so I can make the right calls, so I can make the right decisions, so we can be dynamic in the field. I need him to lead me from the front. So constantly, I need that guy's leadership. Every single guy on my team, I say that you are a leader, and leadership and servanthood are one and the same. We are different in function, equal in glory. Boom, we're gonna pivot again. We're gonna talk about tactics. What we do in specific situations. Situation dictates tactics, right? Uh, these are some fun ones that come in handy. Open-ended questions. You'll find yourself in situations where it's time to talk. It's time to interact with people. You need to interact with people. I love to lead with open-ended questions. And it is wise, if you know you're gonna be in these environments or these situations, start thinking about these things ahead of time because they never come to you in the moment, right? Open-ended questions are a beautiful way to get back to that slide I was talking about, about people being heard and seen and understood. Start off with a, what did you think about this? How do you feel about that? Open them up, get them to start talking. Make sure they feel heard and understood. You will see how quickly a positive relationship begins to happen as they feel respected. Very powerful. Keep calm, overpromise. Keep calm, underpromise, overdeliver. Okay. I'm sure, you know, most of the websites I see online say pretty much the same thing. Our security company can provide uh, tailor-made security strategies that fit you and your family, da-da-da-da-da-da, right? Guys out in the field are placed in difficult situations where they want to say yes all the time. Because who tells our clientele and our principals no? Relatively no one, right? But it's a very slippery slope. It can be very seductive. I say, if you can, as often as you can, under promise. Promise them just under what you know you can deliver. And then what happens? Whenever you present your business deliverables, when you walk in that office at the end of the day, Boom, you're hitting grand slams. You're over-delivering at a higher rate, at a higher pace, more often. And this is how you start a relationship where principals and clients are genuinely impressed. And this is the individual capital that helps your team survive fiscally. This is the individual capital that helps your team survive when people make mistakes. Investing in yourself as a tactic. I love to look at this as a tactic. I tell my guys when they come on the detail, if you wanna elevate, you gotta do some things, right? If you wanna become a higher quality agent, you've gotta make higher quality decisions. If you wanna make higher quality decisions, you're going to need higher quality information. You've gotta continue investing in yourself. I don't know where you come from, but I do know that you're gonna find yourself at levels in realms and in rooms that you don't generally frequent. And if you are faced with having to open your mouth, you need to have something of value to say. This is something I brief all my guys on. Invest in yourself. I actually have a reading list I like to hit them with uh, on the way in. Boom. Who gets the credit? Who takes responsibility for mistakes? The answer, if it's one person, it's the leader. But the culture is very simple. It's just like leadership. Everyone. Every single person. Byron, who left 
my luggage on the tarmac. As a detail leader, I take full responsibility. Uh, sir or ma'am, I've written an SOP. We've got a new policy. I put it to make sure this will never happen again. Everyone's rogering up now. By the end of business, everyone will be on the same page. I apologize for the inconvenience. Jeff, the guy at the bottom of the, uh, at the, bottom of the structure. Jeff, who left my bag on the tarmac? Byron won't tell me. Uh, sir or ma'am, I take full responsibility for that. Uh, Byron put out a new SOP. We've all rogered up to it. We're all on the exact same page. We'll make sure it doesn't happen again. I apologize for the inconvenience. Unified front. We just spread the damage. The whole team took it, not one person. You remember, elimination of the weakest survival of the pack, right? But Byron, you guys did awesome today. Thank you. Sir, we're benefiting from an awesome team. We just got a good group of guys. The venue was solid. The motorcade was solid. The advanced work was solid. I'll let the team know that today you're happy with us. Thank you. Good night. Boom. That's how we all live and die as a team. We all become stronger. Then I make sure and tell the team about that. This one you guys have no problem with here. <laughs> uh, as I've walked around this place, y'all are some sharp security professionals. Honestly, I had out my game next time I come out here. You know, um, but appearance is communication. It's very important. This is something I brief my guys on all the time. When I look at you, I can see your standards. When I look at you, I can see your physical fitness standards. When I look at the way your clothes are put together, I can see how clear of a thinker you are. When I look and I see dirt on your fingernails, I'm paying attention to how much attention to detail you're paying attention to. We must sell security in our appearance, as I've said, and deed and action. Appearance is communication. It is your first line of communication. Now, everything I've talked about in this presentation will be null and void and not effective if you cannot do this one thing, and that is be the change. If you've seen any of my content, you know that I say constantly, executive protection is more than just a job, it requires a lifestyle, right? It's a baseline of performance we need to be able to hit that's higher than everyone else. We know we don't, we don't perform to our training, we perform to our baseline of training when the heat is on. Your teams, the people you work with, everyone needs to see that you are genuinely approaching the game this way, relationship oriented. That's how you really change the game and you can do it as the guy at the bottom of the totem pole and you can also do it as the guy being in charge. It doesn't matter where you are in the rank structure as you listen to these words. Interfacing tactics, I love this one. We're gonna talk about spheres of relationships we deal with. Boom, interfacing with the team. How do you deal with your team? I always interface with my team. The cup is half empty, the cup is half full. Okay, so I know what I bring to the table, but if the cup is full, they can't put anything into it. I need them to lead me from the front. I make sure they feel heard and seen. I make sure they know that I am listening to them before I make a decision. The most powerful per person in a room, generally, is the person who everyone knows is generating the highest volume of win-win outcomes within that room. You might have two leaders on your team and don't even know it. You might have the one leader who's in charge, and then you might have the other leader who has more individual capital because he actually makes more decisions that actually help the team that, that you're not aware of. Hopefully they're the same person. So interfacing with the team, make sure you give them space, they feel that, and then you'll be able to influence them more easily. This is very important. The second thing is you wanna make sure that they value through your actions and deeds. You have to get them to start valuing cooperation over competition. Interfacing with your principal. Do not say too much. 
You do not want to be the guy. Never say more than is asked. That's the main thing. Our principles have generated some amazing cultures and done some amazing things. Another quick, effective tool is to pick things from that culture. Wear them on your sleeve. Show them that you value the culture they've created. It's a high compliment when they know that you come from pedigrees such as the armed forces, law enforcement, and these high-level positions in the world. Interfacing with the client. This one is very important because when cutbacks come, right now, you know, it's usually us. Right now, there are people, the clients, the ones paying the bills, that are looking at your teams on spreadsheets and they're wondering, why do we pay so much for these guys? They don't make us any money, right? So a tool that's being used in our industry very effectively is tracking your key performance indicators. Equipping your agents with daily activity reports so that they understand they are marking down what they're doing. And send that data to the client fiscally, quarterly, twice a year. We locked 873 doors this year. We dealt with 473 different alarms on multiple properties. We executed 89 patrols. And the list goes on. Show them the value they're paying for on paper on that spreadsheet. Interfacing with your boss. I don't want the guy that wants to do a good job because he wants to be part of the company, wants to make the money, wants to work with the principal, wants to work with the client. I make sure my people understand I want the guy who's going to do a good job because of who he is, because of his personal character. I'm going to do the best job I can because I'm Byron Rogers. I can teach anyone tactics, but I don't want to be anywhere near you as you learn your character, and I will be looking at your character. That's the messaging we give them. Interfacing with the royal courts. I always warn my people to be very careful with this group. Sometimes you're going to have to treat them as if they are the principal. Sometimes you're going to have to treat them, well, you're going to have to remind them that they're not the principal. But the main thing to remember is that they are gatekeepers. They are very important and powerful relationships that have been around that principal before your people started working there, and they'll be there after they leave. So treat them with kit gloves as if they are gatekeepers. Where to start with these principles? Start here. Start now. Next time we open up the conference for networking, make sure the other person's heard and seen. Hit them with some open-ended questions. Value their opinion. And watch how the relationship can actually continue after you leave this room. Now, as we wind up, I know I have not blown your mind with a lot of this information. It's kind of like how to win friends and influence people for executive protection. But the reality is that I've seen so many good agents lose. I've seen so many good teams get sent home. I've, I've seen people lose money because they don't value the relationship component to the executive protection game. And my goal here is to remind you and equip you with tools that you can leverage in the field, maybe even weaponize in the field to make sure that your teams are more efficient, more effective, and more successful. Now, if you can remember that this game is not about you, it's about relationships, if you can remember to become the change on your teams, if you can remember that Leadership is also servanthood if you can remember that we all share in victories and we all share in our defeats. And if you can convince your team that cooperation is superior to competition, 
in action and in deed first, then ultimately your team will win and thus you will win. Thank you. Appreciate that. If you guys want to get a hold of me, boom, there is a QR code uh, up there. Uh, you can take a screenshot of that, and that has all the contacts and, and brands and things there. Thank you again. You guys are awesome. Boom, yo. Boom. <laughs> there Thank it is. Thank you very much, Byron. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, we rarely listen to people speak about teams, and uh, it's a subject that nobody speaks about and it's very important in the room. So we have a few questions for you, and the first one is, do you have any daily habit that makes you a better protector? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody ambush ambushing me with my own questions? Um, absolutely. That makes me a better protector, a daily habit. I honor, I think, what are some of the basic principles of being a protector. Physical disciplines, you know, I stay up on my combatives, I stay up on my physical fitness, um, and then I'm constantly learning. Always, always, every single day when I'm in my car, I'm learning everywhere I go. Um, and so I believe by just living that way, I'm setting myself up to be as advertised. Intelligence, physical fitness, and then always, always focusing on relationships. Actually, uh, you touched a very fine subject because in Mexico there's been always a very big difference between the people that do executive protection out in the field and the people that actually uh, leave the lifestyle and, and the security professionals and all that, kind of like the operators have been left out for a while. And I think uh, your subject is very important, bring them in and to, you know, they are the ones that are actually doing the protection. I do have a, a question, and I am going to use something from your rule book. So, it's an honor. what is the best lesson you've learned in your career in executive protection? I think the main lesson that I think, if you forget it, it's going to punch you in the face, <laughs> and it can be very expensive, is that it is not about you. It's not about you. I think because I've never been that cool. I've never been that like awesome. You know, I've never been that amazing. So what I've done to create a place for myself, right? Your gift will make room for you in the, in, the, in the court of kings, right? What I've done is I've focused on contributing. And it's a kind of a two-way street. So I've focused on contributing to myself, learning all the time, training all the time, getting better, getting better, becoming a best version of myself I can be. That's why I'm, the slogan is, this is more than just a job, it's a lifestyle, right? Your clients benefit from the value of your lifestyle, really, when you go to work. But I focus on contributing to myself as much as I can so that even from the most imperfect state, right, because I'm still developing so much, I can make high-value contributions to a team. I can make high-value contributions to a client's life. I can make high-value contributions to the in industry. So I think that the trick is invest in yourself as much as you can so that no matter how imperfect you are, people can't ignore how valuable the contributions you can make truly are. Okay, I have uh, uh, some questions here as well in the app, but... Do you have any uh, quote to live by? <laughs> Man, I love me. If, if anybody's ever been on, on Byron's podcast, that's kind of like <laughs> that question where he gets you. Yeah, man. Um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of, I have a lot of different quotes, but I think I find that I've been able to excel and beat a lot of people at certain things that are a lot smarter than me. 
because of one, and I wish it was more elegant. I wish it was more like cool, but it's just Ronnie Coleman, man. Ain't nothing to it but to do it. You got to do the thing to have the power, you know? Um, but you could take that to, you know, I will find a way or I will make one Hannibal Lecter as well. You know, I mean, maybe Hannibal, just not Lecter. Anyways, so, <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people think and plan and they get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready to procrastinate. Be the guy that's out there doing it, get punched in the face, learn from experience, you will evolve much faster. You'll also learn that failure doesn't destroy you, it actually does make you stronger, harder and faster if you choose to see it that way. And I think that, that's like, that's like magic in my life so far. Byron, there is an interesting question uh, we, we receive from the public, and I, I, I think it's kind of cornerstone of everything what we do here. And a lot of people who are coming to these active protection, not generally military law, law enforcement and that kind of stuff, so uh, they are very much focused on the, um, on the hard skills, mm -hmm. and all the industry are very much focused around that sexy part of executive protection where right. you're going around and shooting and doing all Sit that crazy stuff. And you get, okay, okay, social interaction, ah, cool. <laughs> or what we were talking about, preparation for the, for the attack, ah, interesting. Okay, but what, what we want is this. No. Mm -hmm. what, what can we do to make, I, I, I mean, it's not about explaining that, that the other part is wrong, mm -hmm. but to make a better balance between what we actually need and what we expect in executive protection. Mm -hmm. How can we make it more interesting? How can we How make can it we make more interesting? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, you know, I find that what really attracts people to it, it tends to be when they start to see you move around in an environment and you have this level of social kind of influence and people are like, hey, and you're, you know, you go to the FBO and you've got your guy with you and he sees the FBO is like totally cool with you, everything's smooth. You know, with my new guys, I, I go with them as much as I can and I explain to them as much about this body of information as I can as they go into the game. And I really make them understand that this is the way you're gonna survive. You know, like, um, and when they see you move in the field and they see that things are smooth because you have these relationships that make the wheels turn, they start to really be like, man, like that was, that was good, that was cool. And you're like, hey, that's something that we've been building for a long time. This is how really professionals really move in this game. Doors are opening for us, you know. We're backstage right now, you know, and they start to really realize I can, I can really be a king at this game if I can manage these relationships. So when they see it, it's huge. You know, it's something I focus a lot of in my content so that you're hearing it from other professionals. This is really how you win. Um, but I think demonstrating it for, to them and then, like I said, right when they come in, I'm briefing them. I'm like, hey dude, you're awesome. You're stronger, bigger than me, cool. You're probably not gonna live if you don't understand the value of relationships here. And I'm, I'm making sure that they're, they're prepared for success from the gate, and I'm dead serious. I'm briefing them like we're about to go hit a house in the middle of Iraq, <laughs> you know? Absolutely, thank you very much. It's an honor. Uh, I have a, a question here in the app. There, there are some questions in English as well. You, Byron is in the app, so he'll be able to answer most of them. Awesome. But it's, uh, what's your recommendation if the principal doesn't appreciate your methodology, how do you take control of the situation? Take into account that, just make a little uh, context, Mexican principles are the hardest, most difficult principles in the world probably, mm. right? They're very much into not taking orders from anyone. Right. So, and you know that kind of uh, principle. Oh so, yeah. So this is, 
a beautiful question, especially for private security professionals, because the reality of this game, and I think it was, who hit me with this on the podcast the other day? They were like, whose responsibility is security in the private sector? And I was kind of like, I mean, it's my responsibility. I'm the detail leader. I'm a company owner, you know. I'm the security dude, you know. Um, and he was like, no, man. It is your client's responsibility. And I was like, bro. Like, my mind was like, what are you talking about? But he said, who allows you really to protect? Who, if you do the wrong thing, will get rid of you? Who allows you to maintain your security posture, your security structure? Okay? Who really can just leave the house by themselves if they want, if they don't want you with them. If it's a government contract, it might be different, but if it's the private sector, you can go with them if they tell you not to, but it might be the last time you go with them. And that's just the way the game is. So what we've had, what I've learned to do, especially with the more difficult principles, is I'm not trying to necessarily superimpose my will, especially not from the beginning. It is a slow cultivation of relationship and respect and at a healthy pace, as much as I can, I'm trying to build a safer and safer environment for them, and it sometimes takes years to do. But the reality is, before you were there, they were less safe, and if you move too fast, you can get eliminated. They'll bring another team in, and so to do this efficiently, sometimes it takes a very long time, and sometimes you may not even get the security structure you want because they just don't want it, and you gotta be seatbelt security, like my man Max Joseph talks about. If you're too uncomfortable as a seatbelt, they won't wear you. So you need to be comfortable enough to do as much as you can on pace. That's a very good remark. Uh, that that seatbelt analogy, game. I'm going to steal it the other way. <laughs> yeah, you know. Love that one for, uh, about the seatbelt. Uh, from experience, ex-military personnel normally have a great, uh, great hard skills and tend to be a little weak, weaker on soft skills. Soft skills tend to be developed through experience and personal upbringing. Which do you find easier to teach, hard or soft skills? You know, honestly, soft skills. Uh, I find it easier to help someone understand how to kind of interact with other people because we all have so much experience doing that. If I need to teach a guy about how to achieve a higher level of violence than an aggressor, man, we, we have to go and we have to do, there's so much more that has to go into that. Like at our events, at our protector symposiums, like we gotta lock you in a car, you gotta fight someone in a car, you know, we gotta run you through a number of different things like to help you understand violence, how to achieve violence, how to achieve proficiency first. Um, but there are so many very clear pipelines to get guys a foundation of firearms training and uh, combatives training and amazing instructors. Um, But if they don't have that, they haven't generated that kind of aggression and control and power, I think that it's, it can be more difficult to help them get if they don't have it from their upbringing or their background. The social dynamics, I can kind of walk them through that with baby steps and with some of the programs. Um, what tips do you give anyone that's joining a team, whether he has a lot of experience or not? Yeah. What is the That what are the, the main key points that you have to transmit to him or her when they join the team? Absolutely very important. Um, as you enter that team, make sure you're humble. Understand that every new detail is a new space. You don't know the tripwires. You don't know where the landmines are, client proclivities, uh, the things they like, the things they don't like. Um, I enter a team extremely humble. You know, um, I know what I know. I know what I can do. 
but I don't know how to survive here. I need what you guys have. And um, so I definitely always enter with like cups half empty, cups half full. I'm here to learn and I'm pretty much quiet for the first three to six months. And I honor their alphas and their, their bulls. I honor all the guys. Every single person is above me. I submit to learning and then if it's right, I aim to influence. Okay. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of other questions. If you go to the app, uh, you'll be able to interact with them. Awesome. I don't know if you were here when I explained what is this. This is an alebrije, because Gonzalo wasn't. Outstanding. Uh, alebrije is a mythical creature uh, from Mexico, and it's, it represents metamorphosis, and it, it represents change, and it represents a lot of hard work, which is what we're doing here. Yes, uh, And what we're doing security. So, Byron, thank you very much for coming down here. I really appreciate it. Such an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you for the gift. This is right up my alley. This is perfect. You guys are awesome, man. Boom. That is it. Boom. Boom. Quick shout out to our sponsor, Staccato. My first pistol sponsor. Um, I've been sponsored by a lot of companies right over the years, but when it comes to pistol, that's my bread and butter. Pistol is something I believe in. You know, I'm a competitive shooter. You know, we're shooting anywhere from, you know, 800 rounds a month type of thing, right? So Staccato being what I believe is one of, if not the most complete handguns you can put in your hand. Um, it's got every component that a handgun could have, should have. Uh, they're actually extremely dependable now that they've made some changes. And these things are straight up tack drivers. If you're looking for a pistol that will do as much of the work for you as a piece of hardware can, Obviously, you have to have the, the, the marksmanship and all the different things, but different guns perform at different levels. And I want to say that Staccato is one of, by far, for sure, take it from a competitive shooter, we're shooting the highest volumes of rounds constantly right now, not used to have a background guy, but like right now, when you go shoot, you're going to see certain brands. Staccato is one of, if not the highest performing firearm that is both CCW, duty ready, and also competitive ready. So I want to give them a shout out if you guys are looking for a good handgun to build your skills on top of, go check out Staccato. Much love and respect. Yo, if you're a private security professional wanting to take your game to the next level, go to executiveprotectiontrainingday.com to check out my personal success package for private security professionals. Check it out, executiveprotectiontrainingday.com. And remember, y'all, hard skills do save lives, but soft skills get you paid. Boom. Boom. And to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what helps me make this podcast possible, contributing to this brand, what we're doing here, making it so that I can bring better guests on, making it so that we can plan more events and just expand the contribution to the private security industry and also to make an America a safer place. Do whatever you can, contribute whatever you can because it makes all of these things possible. Thanks for those contributions.